0: this episode, I was delighted to be joined by Rory O'Connor from Hub Games. So delighted. We kind of didn't record an intro. So, here's an intro. Intro! And now, I'm with the show. Don't say that, because <laughs> I'll just turn You'll be turning up, That's, you know what? I'll just be turning up. I'll just feel like, hello. How's I miss it?
1: that. People don't just turn up anymore. My dad used to do it all the time, and... Whilst I used to be it when I was trying to get home from his work. <laughs> um, yeah. I appreciate now what it meant that you got to see people and they didn't have excuses like, you know, oh, I've got stuff on. Whereas if you turn up, people kind of make the time and are grateful for it afterwards, usually. Yeah, my mum likes that. She likes... Um...
0: She says sometimes she's like, depends on how she's feeling She's like, oh just give us a phone But sometimes you just like rock up And just like that gentle surprise And I think some people just worry about You know, is my house Looking as in brilliant a form As always, and it's like I'm not here to see your house, I'm just actually
1: here to see you I have to keep pointing that out That you really don't You know, care when you go and see someone's house Or I'm not the kind of person to look around And check The quality of their the floor.
0: No, I'm not checking. Kind of not like moving ornaments to see if there's like a ring of small ring of dust and kind of like get the white <laughs> gloves out and kind of go. Oh, okay. So it's like, like that, you know? Is it like, like that? Is it? I don't think. Yeah. It's
1: but like, I know, honey, can I? we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's
0: <laughs> it. You know, and I. It's like, and I'll see you later, and I'll bring, and you'll get a report in the post of how kind of um, how clean Hospital your house was. Yeah, exactly. Marks at of 10 from the various judges um, When you Were a young lad Have you always been kind of Belfast Because I'm not hearing the Belfast Kind of lilt No I'm
1: <laughs> A Dubliner originally I grew up mm-hmm. in a little town Called Lucan which is just outside Dublin mm-hmm. um, And then moved After college I moved down to the west of Ireland And lived in Gowey. For a while and and kind of ran away to join the circus. Like I joined a community arts group called Motors down there. Um, and so whilst the friends were in university, I was actually trying to be a puppeteer and studying in London. So I used
0: to travel back and forth. That sounds fast. No, that sounds I mean what did what did you do at college?
1: So I spent two years in actually an amazing Place called Ballyfirm at Senior College, um, uh-huh. which is almost like a portfolio preparation place for people who studied art, which is uh-huh. what I had done. um And I studied computer animation and graphics. And I didn't realize just how on the cutting edge we were because I think it was only the second year of that course. And Pixar had only released its famous Tin Toy short like about two years beforehand. Wow. Because I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's been around for ages. And yeah. then I was like, oh my God, it was only like. <laughs> <laughs> Two years beforehand
0: Is that the one where um, It was under the bed And it's got the little baby kind of chasing after it Is that Because it was a yes. series of kind of like Pixar shorts And one of them was That was when the kind of the lamp Luxar Jr. in Luxar Was one yeah. of my Because I just remember watching that Taping it and watching it again and again and again Because I was just fascinated by Everything from the light sources To how they made the materials look And it was just like Absolutely Kind of amazing.
1: It was incredible. Yeah, there was um, Luxo Jr., um, Tin Toy, and there was one about, um, about like a unicycle mm-hmm. as well, an abandoned unicycle. Um, and then there was the the very first one, something like Harvey and the Bee or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but that was like the very first one they did, which I think was like '86 or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, so I was um, I thought I was going to have a career In computer animation <laughs> And that all kind of changed <laughs> Pretty massively
0: What made you leave? Was it just, you know, not in it? Were you not kind of getting the, the Spark? Because I mean, going um, going to do kind of like Puppetry I mean, that's that's a very, very creative Kind of owned Creative Kind of phys- almost physical acting type of process. I mean, it's to me, it's one stage up from kind of animating something to elicit emotion. I mean, puppetry is to me is kind of um, you're eliciting emotion straight away from your reactions. You can see a direct reaction from the person that you're kind of interacting with, kind of things. So the next kind of level up to me.
1: So, yeah, yeah, I think you're kind of picking up on why it was attractive. Um, In my second year of college, and it was a two year course, um, Uh an old school friend of mine had committed suicide um, and he had left a note saying, you know, he couldn't see a way out basically, Hmm. um, or how things were going to improve. And I just, it's kind of weird that at that point I kind of decided, okay, I'm not going to allow myself to get to that point where I feel like that about life. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew how easily you could get to that. And around the same time, this kind of childhood interest in puppetry just, like, resurfaced. And I can't really put the two together, but in that latter half of my year, I was spending less time on computer animation and more time trying to build puppets with another classmate. And it was kind of tied into what you are saying. It was like the idea of it was still storytelling, but instead of, like, being locked away in a room working on it, mm-hmm. you were actually out traveling seeing people and interacting with them directly and so the, at the end of that year i moved down to Galway to work with the closest thing to it like a puppetry company in ireland which was Mockness. and they used to do big scale kind of street theater festivals um in the galway arts festival they were famous for it um they've also done the um, saint patrick's Day parades in dublin over a number of years and they did famously did the U2 as uh, Zeropa tour. When they had all the big heads, I got to be oh, one of those. I, remember I got that. to be one of those heads in <laughs> Dublin. <laughs> oh my um, goodness. Did so, you actually did you actually get to
0: meet like Bono and the and the the crew and everybody like that then? No,
1: I got to watch the gig through <laughs> big head. <laughs> <laughs> so who did you play then? <laughs> oh which well this was just when they had like the kind of generic crowd all right, big okay. heads yeah so um, some of the people I worked with were like the main actors on the, the stage um, but yeah I went down to work with them um, kind of volunteered and got whatever paid gigs came up like st- learnt still walking and juggling mm-hmm. um, but saw that power of actually interacting directly with people through performance um, and what I always liked about puppetry then was that it was about putting the puppet form forward and not yourself. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> the irony was, like I love puppetry, I was pretty good at it, but hmm. I hated using my voice, which was a real like <laughs> difficult, if I wanted to do street theatre or anything like that. So yeah, I ended up yeah. doing quite eclectic shows that used recorded music or silence as part of it.
0: Because I watched, I'm a big fan of the documentary Be and Elmo, and for a while, it was it was one of the things that my my, my kids could like would just watch repeatedly. And his his thing was always about the kind of the emotional connection and how he you know the voice. I mean, Elmo's famous because of the, the voice mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I mean, were you, were people surprised when you went into the puppeteering? I mean, were you were you always when you were growing up when you were growing up as a child? Were you quite? Were you kind of shy but willing to put on a performance kind of if pushed kind of person?
1: No, absolutely not. And that's like (laughs) the irony. Like if someone looked at me weird, I'd start crying. I was just so shy Mm -hmm. um, growing up. But, and this all feeds into, I think, gaming as well, is that I just like always love to play. And for me, the power of puppetry isn't in like that aspect of the you know the character and it was more to do with bringing inanimate objects to life and people believing them as being real and it was this almost like childlike awe that i could you know take a salt cellar mm-hmm. and imbue and imbue character into that or in <laughs> in one performance i had a venetian blind that is like sobbing over the fact that the curtains have like broken up with it and left <laughs> um, and so it was. The, it was the idea of imbuing a playfulness. I think yeah. um, was important, and it's you know a big part of how I approach. I think the game design side of things, but that to me was the magic. It was like you could look at this inanimate object, and people would suddenly believe believe that it was had emotions, and you know had um, a thought process going on. Um, and I think that's just wonderful seeing that. Or on people's face faces when they see it You know, a well-performed puppet show
0: Well um, Pixar continued to do that with the animated Shorts that they've done, I mean they did the one With the the two umbrellas Meeting in the rain You know, it was kind of like the, You know, that kind of thing There was the, the one about the Chinese dumpling <laughs> You know and, th- and these are all about kind of taking Everyday kind of normal Objects and kind of instilling them with their own kind of form and their own mm. kind of their own kind of personality in order to elicit some kind of emotional response but did you i mean how long did then you then stay in the kind of the puppeteering the you know the community stuff did you stay in that for a while or did you get to the point where it's kind of like does it become financially viable is it something that you can can kind of can Continue to do for a long time I mean what what made you decide to flip From being out there And performing to almost Embodying that in a game so that Other people could get kind of Enjoyment out of your creations I mean wh- wh- how did that kind of come about
1: Yeah it was quite a weird journey um, I was I think lived in Galway for like Four years Four or five mm. years and hmm. In the meantime, I was traveling over to London to study with the London School of Puppetry.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that was like a remote course that I, I did. Um, and I was trying to make it work as a puppeteer, but I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have money to buy a van. and living in the west of Ireland, like not having transport <laughs> was like, made it virtually impossible. Um, so in the end, um, with my partner of the time and still my partner um, Anita uh, we decided we wanted to go traveling and try and do something Mm -hmm. different and we planned to go to Canada so I actually moved, managed to get a job in a a multimedia company in Dublin and still funnily enough like my storyboarding skills that I developed as a puppeteer where what kind of landed me that job and my kind of quirky take on teaching maths (laughs) so I worked there for a year and basically we saved up enough money to head over to Vancouver. Um, but that didn't w- work out. We weren't able to get work permits because it was graphic designers were two a penny over there. And All right, okay. that was Anita's qualification. And despite being amazing at what she did, they were just like, Nope, we've got enough graphic designers. Wow. So we did some travel through the U S and came back. um, and I could actually it was quite humbling. I couldn't find any work in Dublin. This is kind of like pre-Celtic Tiber and the economic boom over mm. here. Yeah. And an old college friend told me about uh, a project in Belfast where they were looking for someone to teach multimedia software um, as part of a cross-community project. And, you know, the timing of all of this, I think, is quite interesting to what's going on now because it was just after the OMA bombing. All um, right um in Northern Ireland um while I was away and I realized I really didn't know much about um Northern Ireland despite kind of you know growing up on the same island and so I kind of jumped at the opportunity to go up and actually spend some time in Belfast and learn more about it whilst kind of using my the skills I developed in things like Photoshop and Dreamweaver and all of that software from back in the day and teaching it to to people Um, so I went up for what I thought would be a year and then it became like three years (laughs) and then five years and, um, got more involved in the cross community side of things. Um, and as part of that became really interested, um, in the idea of creativity and accelerated learning because I was trying to figure out how to teach these in a, a better way. And I had picked up some things in that multimedia company about how people learn. So I was trying to use that as part of that um, course in Belfast. And it kind of sent me down this rabbit hole of um, just amazing tools and techniques that were out there to help with learning and creative thinking. Um, And that kind of became my toolbox then for... um, I became a kinda of like a life coach, but a kind of creativity life, life coach because my life was a mess. So I couldn't really, you know, coach for success. But I could, you know, stand behind um helping people be more creative and how they um tackle problems. Um and so I did that for a while and as part of that um I actually created Rory Story Cubes. Uh yeah, because yeah. one of the my person the person i trained with win winger he used to say the best use for a creative problem solving technique is to use it to create even better creative problem solving techniques and so i used one of the techniques he had designed um called beachhead or advanced civilization um and used it to invent a creative thinking tool which actually turned out to be rory's story cubes uh but at the time it was like a rubik's cube with um stickers on it with yeah. different icons and that was essentially the, the origin of Rory so i used to use it in my coaching practice with people to help them use it for creative problem solving um and just more and more People kept using it the way it wasn't intended, which was like just for making up stories. And they're like, no, hang on, this is meant to be a coaching tool. And i are like, but it's tons of fun just making up stories with it. Um, and so I had to kind of start to pay attention to how, you know, um, it was actually being used and realized there was a much bigger audience for it than the, uh, I remember thinking like, I reckon there's about a thousand coaches out there that might use, you know, yeah. uh, the Metacube, which is what it was called at the time. And it's kind of funny looking back now thinking how lofty my goal was back then um, given that, you know, there's I think we're kind of hitting like over 8 million copies of Rory story cubes out in the world at the moment That's incredible <laughs> I mean, that's, a bit-
0: it, was it, I mean when you kind of put it out there I mean, are you are you still? You must still be going eight million. That's 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 an awful lot more than a hundred or a thousand. Does, Does that? It still surprise you?
1: Yeah, um, like it's wonderful. Um, but what's really funny is like a couple of friends can't have like since confided, and they're like, "Yeah, Rory, we thought this was just another one of your hairbrand schemes." <laughs> um, and I was like, "Well, thanks for telling me," <laughs> um, <laughs> because. I used to go around with like this Rubik's Cube and, you know, tell people how awesome it was. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was great and it was good for creative problem solving. And, you know, we made we were literally like the abs and the shoemaker myself when really Anita, where um, we actually landed a job with a major financial uh, organization in Dublin. Um, And as part of it, I was running this program called the Innovation Hub. And the intention was to deliver creative training to them. And, you know, part of what my offering was, was like, Oh yeah. And everyone who takes part, will get a set of Rory story cubes. So they agreed to it. And I was like, Oh crap. Now I have to figure out how to get them, <laughs> get them made. Um, so with the money I was get we were getting paid for that work. We basically um, got 500 sets made, gave them the 36 they needed for mm-hmm. the program. And started selling the rest. Um Just we set up a web page and a PayPal account and just started taking orders online for this little game in a black box as it was at the time. So, you know, and that was kind of... It was really interesting because even then, we sold, I think, about 2,000 copies just through word of mouth, like with no big marketing or anything. And when GameRite, who... um we connected with back in I think it was like 2009. They were interested in the game, and we agreed, you know, for that they would sell 10,000 copies of the game was the the target.
0: And I remember thinking,
1: where are they going to find 10,000 people <laughs> to buy <laughs> story cubes? I just I don't know whether it's you know growing up in a small country like Ireland, but you know your sense of scale is completely off compared to growing up in a country with you know. A billion people living in it um, So I just had A much smaller sense of what was Achievable And happily we kept getting Surprised by the fact that more and more people Wanted to buy And play Rory's Story Cubes Did that um,
0: Did that offer you can some kind of flexibility? I mean it looks I mean because I'm looking for people who aren't Aware of Rory's Story Cubes They are basically Cubes that have different Pictures on them and They're very simple pictures But it can be anybody Anything from somebody swinging a Swinging a baseball bat to like a smiley face And the idea is you roll the You roll the cubes and then based on The pictures that appear you You kind of make up a story Kind of based on that Um, But you seem to have like adventure Time ones and all different kinds of flavours Colours Kind of themes and everything like that as well um, But has that put you In the position where you're kind of Like well that's, has it provided kind of like A steady stream of income Kind of going forward for you
1: It it did Yeah I mean we've since The last kind of two years we sold it To Asmodee because we felt we'd taken It as far as mm-hmm. we, we could And yet we knew there was more people Still discovering rory's Story cubes but mm-hmm. we just were I think <laughs> were dead at that point, <laughs> <Cubed> out um, <laughs> yeah, like we we kind of set a plan
0: mm-hmm.
1: back in two thousand and eleven or twelve to do all the mix sets to cover all the different themes and genres yeah. that we wanted to cover, um and we saw that coming to an end, so we kind of felt like, okay, it's time to you know pass it on because it was still like a ton of work, you know, and the amount of traveling we did and turning up to like, trade shows and demoing like you meant the amount of times I was humbled, not in a good way, like standing in a tiny little store on like Cape Cod or something. Um, and demoing Rory Story cubes to two five-year-olds who happen to yeah. turn up to this like event where Rory O'Connor, the creator of Rory Story wow. cubes, is going to be here. And you're like, yeah, okay, no one cares. <laughs> um, but but the store owners did, and they, you know, got behind the game. So we really did a lot of like touring with Rory Story Cubes, and I think that's what helped it to to take off. And it just got to a point where it was like, okay, we don't really need need to do that anymore. It needs something else, and we're not the people to to make that happen. Do you get?
0: Um, do you kind of get sad at all? They saying like you've let your baby go, kind was- of thing.
1: Yeah, it was hard, like, um, there's a point where Anita was kind of going, I'm done, I need to move on from this, Um, and I was like, well, I can kind of, like, spend my life sitting on this kind of throne of Rory Story Cubes, and be that be the only thing I've done, and I went, that's not kind of who I am. So, it was, I used to describe it as, like, watching a child going off to college, Mm-hmm. you know sending them out into the world and crossing your fingers and going I hope I brought them up well <laughs> and they're not going to phone me up at some point from, a, plea, <laughs> from a, a cell and go mom dad I'm in trouble can you come uh-huh. get me <laughs> um, so luckily that hasn't happened yet That's, um, they're being well looked after and doing good company <laughs> um, so yeah it's it's great to see it kind of continuing to reach more people You know, if I look on Twitter and you still see like a mom or some workshop facilitator going, oh, my God, have you seen these things? They're called Rory Story (laughs) (laughs) Cubes." I mean, with
0: that, then were you back to the kind of the creative stage? Were you looking, were you saying, right, do we need, did you feel there was a pressure to look for the next thing? As in, this is what Rory did next kind of thing. Was there a bit of internal pressure to kind of find something else that would be kind of as successful? Or do you just like, well, let's, let's just see what else we can do. And, 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 you know, I've, 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 I've done successful. We're, we're kind of in certain places. We've just been purchased by one of the biggest board game distributors, you know, in the world now. Um, so were you, did that, did that allow you to kind of focus? Differently, or, or were you, or, or were you, were were you still kind of hungry and anxious to kind of chase something else?
1: I think a couple of things were were coming together um, within the game space. Like I'm a big gamer; I love playing games, and it was often hard to hear that you know people say, "Oh, Story Q's isn't a game," and so there was a part of me probably looking for you know acceptance within the game design space um mm. but you know i think the whole thing with rory story groups is it actually brought my full skill set to bear which was you know take taking a bit of my dad with the kind of entrepreneurial aspect of it um and just the passion for what rory story groups represented and getting uh. out there and talking to people because um, we kind of joke there's not many game designers you would put in front of the public to explain their game to them um whereas we were able to do that and um, you know quite social and quite friendly um so there's a lot more going on with story story groups than just the game design so but there was a part of me that didn't want to be a, a one-trick um kind of wonder uh-huh. um at the same time i'm you know I, I care a lot about life the world how people think and you know Going back to creativity and community work is helping people to see there's more to life than they might think, and there's more to themselves than they might realise as well. And that was really the kind of driving passion. And I remember seeing the Kickstarter for um this war of mine by Awakened Realms and thinking that's what we should be doing. Like that's the stuff I, I care about is you know, challenging people through a medium I used to do with puppetry. Um it was challenging people with the kind of coaching side and was like, right, we need to be doing this with um games as well and I could see a change coming and I wanted to be part of that vanguard rather than <clears throat> rather than looking back and going, Oh yeah, that could have been me. So mm-hmm. the timing of those things all came together where we were finishing off our story cubes. Um we had you know, I'd seen that, the Kickstarter, and that was mulling away kind of in the back of my mind. And also, we just in 2017, we knew we had to like bring out some new games. We couldn't um, continue with just Rory Story Cubes. Um, although, having said that, what's really interesting is we did bring out a product um, called the extraordinary Design Studio, which wasn't a game, but it was an activity Yeah, that taught the principles of design thinking to kids um, and adults, and it's actually like hugely popular in the US. um, But was never just seen as never seen as a game, and I think that was a really shining example of like what happens when myself and Anita put our heads together to try and create change. It was a a really playful um, toolkit that hopefully will you know create designers of tomorrow that they look back and say oh yeah i got in- interested in design and change because of this thing i played as a kid in school called the extraordinary design studio um so we did that alongside Roy story Coops, but it didn't get the attention it kind of really deserved because of just how all-consuming Rory story Coops was um so in 2017 we were really looking at you know we have to bring out something new and something different and that's kind of where untold and blank came from um untold was like uh untold adventures are Wait, which was our kind of role-playing game based on rory story cubes was kind of like our swan song we we're going right if we don't make this now this yeah. game is never going to get made and we really wanted to have it out in the world because uh, myself and john fury who i worked with on it he was a huge champion and fan of rory story cubes constantly coming up with new ways to use them um, and we had talked about this idea of how Roy Stroykops could be used almost as a games master um, for role playing games. And we just kind of talked about the idea of creating a self contained system rather than needing a D&D manual or, you know, Dungeon World or some other system. Um, so we kind of worked really hard on that. And then also at the same time, we we're working on. Blank by Henri um because we we just thought that game really epitomized what we thought games could be like. Um, a very simple idea, but has incredible potential contained within it. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Blank's fascinating to me because it is it's almost like a, it's, it's own, it's own little self-contained kind of legacy game, but the actual elements of the legacy game itself aren't designed, aren't decided by the creator of the game. As in, in a normal, in a legacy game situation, it's like, name this character, and you name the character, and that's kind of about it. Whereas in blank, it's like, okay, well, you've played the game, but what rule would you like? So that effectively there's like, no two decks of blank could effectively end up kinda of being the same.
1: It's like I adore blank as a game and it really like it frustrates me that it's so hard to communicate to people the magic that is inside, you know, a box of blank. Because if you just look at the surface, you'll think, oh, that's just like, you know, jack change it. Mm. Or Uno or something like that. And you're like, no, yeah. no, no, there's so much going on in this. But you, I keep talking to people and saying, like, to really understand the game, you have to play it. And when you see the moving parts, you go, oh, my God, now I get <laughs> what this is about. Um, and with Blank, it's that act of going, winning a game and saying, okay, so now, how, you know, how are you going to change the game? Are you going to draw a picture? Or are you going to write a rule? Or are you going to mm-hmm. create a game effect? and the light bulb goes off and what when we were developing the game what i loved was in the studio someone would come come in and say oh i was playing blank last night and we made up this rule for the game and everyone else would suddenly be like right i've just had an idea for a game <laughs> for a rule card <laughs> we need to play blank you know and i love how it keeps sparking those ideas and how you know what seems like a simple game is intentionally designed to play simply initially because it's the pacing of the introduction of those new rules um, is important. That pacing of it is really important, um, especially for people who aren't used to playing, you know, um, those kind of legacy games where things are changing. But I just love how you can go totally meta with blank. We used to make up rules where it was like, okay, uh, play the, when you play this card, you get to nominate another player. They must make a cup of tea for everybody at the end of the game. You know, it's just like really weird and bizarre (laughs) stuff. Um, My daughter came up with one and it was like, um, you can't say yes or no in any language. Otherwise, you take a penalty. And so as part of the game when you're playing, you're trying Mm -hmm. to have this conversation with the other players and trying to nudge them into saying yes or no. And I just love that that aspect of um, everyone has a different take on the kind of rules they want to add to the game which makes the whole experience completely hilarious and unique uh, every time you play it.
0: Is it important in the games that you create, you're eliciting some kind of emotional reaction that's, uh, that in some ways is just above kind of like the normal, did you have fun? Yes, I did. But are you trying to get people to kind of think more and think about people? Because it sounds like blank to me is... Is not just I'm going to write a rule It's I'm writing a rule And seeing h- how it affects Kind of people Kind of like around me If you're playing Rory's Story Cubes Again it'll be you'll be playing it in a group And it'll be let's see how everybody Kind of gets together and kind of Gives their ideas about how they can Make this kind of story kind of work So is that is that kind of what you are You're kind of aiming for Is to, that emotional kind of response Within the game is quite important In how you kind of approach the, kind of the, game, you know, the games that are part of hub games.
1: I think that is a big part of it like when we switched from Rory Story Cubes people used to just think oh you just make educational games because mm-hmm. of Rory Story Cubes and the Extraordinaires and my view would have been well no actually make games that foster imagination you know and empathy um, and so when we started hub games we had to be really careful you know not to just go chasing any shiny thing that caught our attention Um, you know and we had to be kind of really strict with what we were going to publish because we felt there's if it's a generic game there's lots of companies out there that can do a really good job of good games um but we had to be doing something particularly different um that only we could do and you know i think that was partly that whole background in community and creativity and creative thinking informs a lot of the types of games we consider for hub games. So we ended up kind of deciding on—I describe it as like three plus one things when we're thinking about games. Um, so one was we want games that really foster interaction between the players. So we didn't want games where essentially they're solo experiences around the table, and then you just add up your points at the end. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. we. Um, And I think, um, Mega City Oceania is a really good example of that. As is untold and, you know, holding on and blank, you're constantly interacting with the other players the whole time that you're, you're playing those games. Um, then we wanted games that kind of get people to reflect on the game afterwards. You know, they, they leave you thinking about the game. Um, whether that's, you know, the emotional impact of playing, um, holding on whether it's the story or character you created in untold or the rule you created in blank and thinking oh, i can't wait until i play it the next time and then the third thing was allowing for that kind of creative aspect or the playful aspect was games that allow you to express yourself um as you play um again blank does it untold does it holding on actually does it because you don't have role cards in that okay. game so it's totally about the, your personality as a, as a nurse influences the game um and again with mega city it's how you choose to design the buildings that you play with um and so the last element then was i could only describe it as games that create this kind of huh, moment for players yeah yeah um, where something happens in the game and you're like huh, that's kind of interesting or weird or neat so um flip over frog i Literally, when um, the designer behind it was presenting the game at um, Essen last year, when I saw it, I literally made that involuntary sound the first time I flipped the tile over in the game, and I joked about it with the team. And every time we demo the game to people, whenever I demo it, they all go, "Huh, oh, that's kind of yeah. neat." <laughs> um, and I was like, "Yeah, and that's why we like, why we love this game because it has that little." Little bit extra that surprises you, um, so that's kind of our filtering process for deciding on games. It must take at least one, and ideally two, if not three, of those kind of criteria.
0: But holding, I mean, holding on is holding on is a difficult game to play, depending on the kind of the age that you are as an individual and your own kind of life experiences as well. In the case that it is In all honesty it was probably One of the first games that I Played through which was Difficult to play And then when I played through it At certain points I kind of was glad I'd Kind of finished it Mm -hmm. Because I needed a rest I needed a break because it brought certain You know it brought certain For me it brought certain memories You know kind of back And um I mean, was that was there questions about that when you were kind of going through, you know, even bringing out the game? Is it was it you know was it was a question? Should we tone it down a bit? Should we not make it maybe as quite difficult as it was? Because in a sense, I mean, what you're doing is you're saying, right? Okay, either we're going to try and we're we're going to try. We know he's going to. It opens up as like he's going to die, <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. So we're not actually saving. It's like, no, he's going to die, but you've got to decide whether or not you're making him comfortable or you're trying to instill some kind of communication with him. And one or the other is going to have positive or negative effects. So when you were going through the process of, of that, was at any point, did you kind of say, is this a bit too much? Should we maybe, should we maybe kind of tone it down a bit when you were looking at, you know, when you were putting together, kind of holding on?
1: Um, oh, like there's so much going on in that game. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think I was starting from the perspective of I really want to make a game that sucker punches people, and and to show them that a game can actually do that. Um, because mm-hmm. the way I think about gaming at the moment is people tend to play games from their head. Um. You know, and it's all about the meta gaming and and winning and maximising, you know, that experience. And so, the kind of challenge was like, can we create a game where, even though players maybe consciously know what they should be doing in the game, emotionally they're being pulled in a different direction to make less than optimal choices. Yeah. Um. So that was one of the things. The other was just going back to my mum's, uh, my own experience. My mum has a. Alzheimer's, um, and actually, as we speak, she is moving into a care home next Monday. Um, oh, yeah. And my dad passed away back in two thousand and two. Um, yeah. So, like the idea of death and dying um, is kind of it's weird. I talked with Michael a lot about this. Who's also, you know, he's Irish, um, and the notion of death and dying and illness is slightly seems to be slightly different in Ireland, which we didn't really realize. And it's a kind of a mixture of, I think our kind of Celtic roots and also the Catholic way of dealing with death um, where we've all seen open coffins and, you know, gone through the process of waking the dead. And and that kind of informed the idea of people who are old and sick and maybe, you know, young people want to steer away from have lived incredible lives. If you just scratch the surface and, see beyond the person who's in the bed. Um, and so we kind of wanted to convey that idea that, you know, you can have incredible stories told by ordinary people and they don't have to be sci-fi based or fantasy based or yeah, merchants yeah. trading in the Mediterranean. You know, that there's audiences for other games, types of stories out there. And Anita would be a big advocate for that as well. So, yeah. you know, that was one element we were trying to combine. A yeah. big part of it was also the fact that, you know, what does it mean to save someone? I I think this was a question that we wanted to pose in that game because we knew people would naturally think, oh, well, to win this game, I'm going to save this person. But, you know, what's the point in saving someone if they're just going to spend their life suffering as a result of it? You know, and so it might make you feel better as a person, but you're not actually helping the other person. So we wanted to challenge that notion of what does it mean to actually win or to help Um, whereas in the case of Billy, um, you know, and if you get to the end of the game, it's like he's got his three regrets and all he wants to do is unburden himself and be able to trust someone enough um, to tell them those three things because he's never had, had the opportunity to do it in his life and he does not want to die carrying these three regrets with him so if you saved him in the game and he left the hospital he could end up dying and never have unburdened himself so did you really help him you know that's kind of the idea within the game um and it also brings out that notion of the idea of hospice care that sometimes people get to a point in their life where um trying to save them medically isn't actually the solution it becomes about how Uh, Comfortable, you can make them, and also can you help prepare them for death as well? And again, that was something I witnessed with my dad, and Mm -hmm. and research and researching the game. You know, seeing how, particularly with heart attack patients, it's only recently where, um, kind of medicine has switched from constantly trying to save the person to sometimes accepting actually the best thing we can do is make them comfortable yeah, yeah. Um, because if we're gonna try and keep them alive, they're just gonna to continue to suffer as well. So I think the game challenges a lot of people in that respect, but at the same time i there's times where i've not I've never laughed so much as I have playing untold because of how Billy can be a stubborn, cantankerous character. Yeah, and you're like shouting at him, going for the love of God, Billy! We're trying to help you, yeah. you know. And the kind of passive aggressive team system of like assigning people to work and the conversations you have about that, I think is it's that kind of bleakness creates quite often very humorous moments. And I've watched you know so many people playing the game and have that happen, and it it kind of saddens and frustrates me a little bit when I hear people say oh that's a really serious game or really depressing i'm like well it's it's not i think i think if you try to rush through the game and play it back to back it's that's hard work i think because the game does have you know an emotional load to it and that can be maybe difficult you need time to process it um and another thing Sorry, I'm just all these things I've wanted to say about the game. You know, one of the things <laughs> I find really fascinating is. It's it's your night. Okay. Um. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I don't know if you've ever watched Father Ted, where he wins this prize with all that, the time. Like, best priest, and he starts like listing all the people who ever d- wronged him over the years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I'll have my list. Um, so one of the things I find really fascinating about holding on is essentially it's cardboard and Mm -hmm. some words. And yet we kind of conjure up this character for people. And they're very quick. Players are very quick to project uh, their own meaning and interpretation onto that character. Um, And so, you know, I don't know how much I'm giving away by saying, you know, Billy's from Belfast. I think you learned that in the first part of the game. Yeah,
0: Um, I think it's yeah. yeah. I think
1: it's kind of yeah. Yeah, I think it actually says it pretty early on. Yeah. So Um, people are very quick to say, "Oh, so I know he's X." Like he's a member of a paramilitary group, Um, and you know, I'm like, "Well, you know, how did you decide that? Where did you get that information from?" Um, And you see it constantly where they just get glimpses of information about the character and they make. Like defining decisions about that character, and they're not even taking the time to get to know him. Um, and if they play through the game, what I find really fascinating is those views will all get challenged along the way. So, what I, I love about the idea of holding on and, you know, why we plan to make more is that the game presents you with characters who you wouldn't necessarily meet in day to day life. And, you know, we kind of want at some point of the game players to be challenged and say, well, do I like this person? Do I not? Do I want to help them? Um, you know, and what does that mean? And what does that reflect on you as a person that you can't maybe tolerate something about that, that character? I think that's a really interesting space to explore and give voice to people who maybe don't often get heard, but we have the opportunity to do that by having them lie in the hospital bed in front of the the players.
0: There's a there's a real sense of realism to the game itself, and the fact that the as you you know as you said, the win condition isn't the win condition is finding out as much information as possible and actually making them. Relaxed and almost accepting of what's actually going to happen, and the only way that they can be accepting is if they actually manage to tell people what the, you know, what is kind of almost preventing them from shuffling off. You know what I mean? As in, kind of like, oh, they're staying because of pure will, pure will alone, and it's like they've got like last things, you know, the last couple of things that they need need to do. I don't remember. I don't remember there being a game kind of like. That And I don't know if it was just a subject matter um, But I mean To me it kind of It struck me as the game that you could Would you want to Create more content for it More expansions you know a slightly Different game or would you want To kind of say Right we've done that and have it kind of like As a self contained Thing and maybe not, you know, dilute the experience. I don't know. Because it's obviously to me it's a it's a very, very it's a very, very different experience from anything I experienced as far as a game. And yet at the same time I'm wondering if you did more of that, would you be able to have the same emotional impact? But I'm interested to see, but at the same time it's almost like a lovely, perfect little experience on a box. I don't know if I'd want to do another one. It's really kinda of confusing Do you know what I mean? It's kind of confusing.
1: Yeah. Um, I, well I think like when we came up with the framework for the game, you know, we had to decide what character was going to be in it. Um, and we knew it had to be the extraordinary life of an ordinary person. That's kind of the line we came up with. Um, and then when we realized that, we were like, oh my god, there's so many people in the world who've lived incredible lives. And you know, we have relations where we discover on their deathbed some incredible things that happened to them and decisions they made um, so for us when we thought about it and we thought we've got one shot if we have only one shot to do this we need to tell the story of Billy Kerr because we are the only people in the game world who could tell that story and, and do mm-hmm. it justice um, you know because it was based on lots of stories that we were hearing whilst living here in Belfast um, you know and we were kind of like pulling all them together into his story um you know and even the choice of billy as a character um you know there's actually for people living in say northern ireland even the name of the character gives away information about that person and would indicate that you know traditionally me and with my name would have been perceived as you know almost an enemy of billy Um, and so we intentionally chose that um that angle and that perspective from which to tell the story to tell it from like the other side. Um, And I think personally, I think there's lots of stories that can be told in this way, you know, not only from the perspective of us refining the experience, but um, there's so many, as we thought about it, we're like the, the different kinds of people we could put in front of players and the kind of challenges that we could present them with yeah um, and open up their eyes a little bit more to the world in a way that you know they mightn't have through games but you might get through through books but again the difference being with a game like there's a interaction that happens in holding on that um, is really key like the repetition of caring for the character and the kind of the slowly repeating of information means that, again, things that you thought were one way are suddenly made clearer later on in the game. And, yeah, yeah. And the payoff for that only comes from the fact that you've spent time with Billy. So I think, you know, if you read the, the narrative, yes, it's a powerful story, but it's nowhere near as powerful as when you combine it with the time that you've spent with Billy as a character and experienced almost that repetition because when he finally tells you something you're like oh my god that like all makes <laughs> sense now um so i think there are other stories to tell you know and we do plan to tell them um mm-hmm. with you know possibly different endings um you know the system is more like a framework and we'd adjust it depending on the character and the story that we're telling um, so we're already at work on plotting out the life of the other, the next character, whose right. story we want to tell. And it's very different. So, sorry, what I was trying to come back around to is the story of Billy is really powerful and all the more powerful when you can relate to his world. You know, there's so many little things where I was playing it with, playtesting with people from Belfast, and they would just look at a card and go, <laughs> you know, because just in a picture, or in a, a turn of phrase, they're like, "Yeah, I recognise Billy as someone of my world." Yeah, Whereas yeah. I think for anyone playing outside of, <laughs> realistically Northern Ireland, because even in like Scotland or or England, you have a different relationship with Northern Ireland. And if you're in the US, my God, like the amount of people who just got stuff completely wrong about you know huh. his yeah. world. So w- we would look at choosing a character that's maybe more familiar and identifiable to a wider audience um, without generalizing it Um, but we would hope that they would have that same experience that people who recognize Billy as a real kind of person will see that in this next next character and really get the benefit of that experience um, through the the knowing hints and clues that we would include in the cards and and the, the narrative I just wonder how
0: you can top it. I mean, was it when you went and did something like? I mean, when you went on to do like Mega City Oceana, an adventure mark was that almost like a cleansing of the palate kind of thing? Because it must have been a relatively difficult game to kind of work on from an emotional point of
1: view as well. Um. Well. I mean, working on holding on was weird because I had a real crunch period where I had to work out the whole storyline. Um, I think it was in November December of twenty seventeen, um, and I remember like walking around Belfast, and I just had like these two worlds overlapping. There was like the happiness of Christmas, and then in my head, I had all this history <laughs> of like Billy's life and world and what I was researching. Mm -hmm. like overlaid on it where i was literally walking down streets going oh yeah this is where that thing happened um (laughs) yeah and so that was quite odd and really intense um but i don't know like i like those kind of stories so i really um like the idea of challenging people um and getting them to kind of think differently about the world i suppose that's just what my gives me a, a kick um if I can facilitate that in some way. Um so yeah, I think <laughs> we're kinda like, okay, after that let's do something a little bit lighter <laughs> for a while. I don't think we could have yeah. gone straight into holding on no. to. Um so yes, I think Mega City again was just one of those kind of doubt those playful things where um I saw um Tokyo Jitaku at Essen and jordan draper uh the designer was showing it to me and like i kind of said to jordan i was like oh so hang on it's it was a speed building game and i kind of thought well but if you're an architect because my brother was an architect was like you know it's all about building the city and crafting it and ideally you'd want to have something to show at the end of it um and so i kind of pitched this idea to the team jordan was really on board with it he was like yeah if you want to do anything with tokyo Jutaku, go for it um <laughs> and I, I went back and i kind of pitched the idea to the team um yeah. that i thought you know again if holding on was about like delivering an a, an emotional sucker punch to players my kind of pitch for um the idea of mega city was like can we get euro gamers to play <laughs> that was literally it like you know as if they're playing with lego Um, and as we were talking about the game and kicking around some ideas, um, I said, like, let's just look at what we're all doing. And we were all fidgeting and building with Jordan's pieces. And I was like, that's why we need to make the game. And, you know, Michael's brain was firing straight away on, he was like, right. Okay. I think I, yep. I I think I I know how I can make this work, (laughs) you know, and very quickly (laughs) he came up with uh, a rule set. Um, that he worked on with Jordan then and then with Anita kind of refined the player experience and the usability of the whole thing in terms of the graphics and and imagery Um, so again that was that kind of question of you know how can we solve a problem or you know challenge players a little bit to maybe be a, a little bit more playful so I think it's that kind of puppetry you know childlikeness of trying to Bring a bit more play into games But it's I mean it is It's tactile
0: I mean that's One of the things I mean usually When you play Buildings Buildings and games like say like Buildings in like say little town Or even tiny town or any of these games They're usually kind of They're there as representations They're not usually as so Tactile that you are, you know, it's like I've built a building and it's a, re- the token is a representation of you building a building. It's not a case that you're actually going in and getting your hands dirty and actually physically building the building mm. that you're building, if you know what I mean. And that's what I saw. Was it, who did I see? Was it, um, I saw Suzanne, um, mm. from Dice Tower. She mm. raved about it. I mean, she just went, look at this. Just look at this. She goes, I'm touching it, but you you know, you can look at it. And it was that kinda of, you know, it was that kind of impression that I got is this this is gonna be something that even before you started playing, people are gonna be picking up these pieces and they're gonna be fiddling about with
1: them. Because it's that kind of game. And that's what we were you know, we were doing with it. And I think some of the magic is in the design of the pieces that Jordan came up with initially. They're just really interesting shapes of, you know, figuring out how they fit together. Um, But I think part of it is, it's funny because when I look at how Michael thinks, um, Michael Fox, the designer who works with us, um, you know, he's got an incredible math brain and I have the honor of talking with the likes of Matt Dunstan and Matt Leacock and Tony Boydell and seeing how their brains work. Like my brain doesn't work like that. Um, Mm. I I can't do the math in the same way that they do in terms of working out probability and you know what the rule set would be, my thing is like what's the visceral experience I want players to have, and I think that's what allows me to see the potential for something like um mega city because I'm not approaching it as a math question I'm approaching yeah. it as a like a playful experience how you know what what's the experience I want players to have um in the game, and I think that's why we've got you know so many games where you're building a city, but essentially it's reduced to numbers because that's how the thought process works and also then there's factoring in the, the cost of production and manufacturing it makes it easier to make tiles than it does mm-hmm. to make you know, the plastic pieces that we have in that game. Um but it's just I I think I just look at the world through a slightly different lens that maybe allows for those quirks to emerge. Um and hopefully, people would see that in again in an upcoming game we have uh, called Prismarina. and because it, it's got that weird toyetic element to it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just I realize I'm just a big kid who wants to play, like <laughs> <laughs> so I just keep making games that allow me to do that. And every now and again, you know, cry <laughs> when I play, <laughs> when I play, holding on. Is that what attracted you
0: to kind of adventure? Adventure Mart, because I, 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 I had kind of the the DigiSprite team were on the show, mm. um, and that was they were talking about. I mean, we had a chat about Adventure Mart. I actually wrote a preview piece on Adventure Mart as well. Oh, nice. Um, um, and. You know, I thought with a lot of potential. There was a couple of things that I wasn't a hundred percent sure about, but obviously when you're writing kinda of like a what a first thoughts piece for Kickstarter, it's always about well, you have to kind of you can't really kinda of give a full kind of opinion on it. You can give kind of thoughts on what you've been kind of given and what you can think about it. So when you know so when like Robin and Elaine were like, Yeah, we've we've been signed, I was like Hmm okay I'm inter- I was interested To see what you guys would um Would do With that mm. project because To be perfectly honest it didn't When they said they were Signed with Hub Games I kind of went Holding on Hub Games Kind of thing yeah. I was kind of hmm I was wondering what, And I must admit I'm entirely Fascinated by The spin or what You're going to do with what you've been given Because to me it was a I really, I kind of, I enjoyed what I played. I thought it was really, really interested. I loved the artwork on it. The artwork was absolutely stunning. Um, I loved the idea of what it was promising. And then when you guys is like, "Well, we're working with with Hub Games on this," I was just like, "I'm kind of really, really interested to see what you guys will, what you guys will do to it."
1: So, I mean, it's funny because I'm like the person who comes back to the team and was like, "I found this thing that's kind of interesting." <laughs> You know, and like, go you know it's like bringing a pet home <laughs> like again rory um so like when i saw at youtube games expo i was running around halls to, to meetings and i kept passing by their booth and seeing the game i was like that just looks you know it takes one of the first boxes it as it's like really visually attractive as a game um so i was really curious to sit down and play it because i think when I play a game, I want to look at something that looks beautiful and adventure Mart looks beautiful it you does. Know, when you play it. So I was kind of curious and I, d- I love the spin on this fantasy Seven Eleven idea. Um, you know, this kind of modern convenience store in this kind of fantasy world selling, you know, um, imagining customers coming in <laughs> and browsing and looking for these items. Um, so I played the game um, with the guys um, and asked them could I borrow it overnight to play during the expo. Um, and I played it twice and we we're like, there's something really neat about this game. Um, mm-hmm. we we're like, yeah, there's bits that are a bit clunky and things I'm not sure about. Um, but there was definitely, I love the interaction in the game. Um, and I think and it, for me it addressed certain issues with when you're trying to teach a deck builder to people for the first time and they're like, wait, what? You put the card I just bought into the discard pile? Like, and how many rounds do you go through where the person keeps asking, does this go into the discard pile? Yeah. So I like, what I liked about the concept of Adventure Mart was that people know the idea of like buying and selling. And so it made, everything had an intuitive sense to it that when you explain the rules, like, oh yeah, I, I get why you would do that. It isn't like, you know, why do I move this pawn here and get these two resources and trade them in for, you know, sheep. Um, it, it kind of made sense. So I kind of presented it to the, the team and they were like, they really liked the idea. Um, and again, we recognized there was maybe some things in the game that could be improved to make it more accessible. Um, and really we kind of thought we could actually bring this game to more people. Um, because my fear and my experience with a lot of kickstarters is that you buy into the idea of the game, but what actually gets delivered um, quite often doesn't quite live up to it. And the game ends up sitting on a shelf and not getting played. And I was like, I don't want that to happen to Adventure Mart. I think this is too good an idea to have that happen. And it's very easy to get caught up in that with the demands and requests of the backers you know, yeah, yeah, no. So, so, you know, we spent a lot of time playing the game, and you know, going backwards and forwards with the team, where we didn't always necessarily agree, but you know, we'd say, "Look, we want this game to reach as many people as possible." Um, so, how can we, you know, streamline some of the experience? Take some of the there's some really hard edges on like how you could screw with other players, and we were trying to manage that a little bit um and also improve the first game experience for people as well as the kind of ui experience of the game um and i actually you know i kind of went through an arc of i really like this game and then it was like oh my god why did i why did i do this like it's just (laughs) it's so much work as you're trying to get everything just right in the game and then towards the end of the development i was like this game is so much fun, (laughs) you know, and we're playing like two player games and just having a blast of how we were like trying to outsmart each other and pulling off really fun combos in the game. You know, I was discovering things going, I never knew you could do that in the game. Um, And we began to really see the, the space for the game of how we could, you know, develop new cards and gills and things that would really broaden the game out. Um, so it is, it's, you know, sometimes it's a little bit hard to think how it fits into our criteria, but it definitely has the interaction bit because of the selling and how you're trying to outsell each other. Um, I like, I really like that interaction, um, which is often lacking in a a deck builder type game.
0: Yeah, there tends to be kind of like, um, sometimes in a lot of deck builders, it's like the theme, the theme doesn't. If the theme wasn't there the game itself Wouldn't be any different Mm -hmm. If you know what I mean even if I mean if you look at I mean If you look at like say Star Realms I mean if you took away the Stars stuff you would still be doing Like the same kind of moves Mm -hmm. And the thing and I'm I'm a huge Star Realms fan everybody so Don't kind of come and get me But the thing that I liked about Adventure Mart is you were Actually going ahead and buying stuff You were bringing in employees so all the Mechanics and everything like that kind of made Sense for physically what you were doing in the game So the theme itself was Fully kind of embraced in the game Um I must admit at the time When because I You know because there's a lot of the People that I have guests in the show Going back there. You know, going back their campaign on like a a dollar backing just mm-hmm. so I can keep up with the the updates and stuff like that. Um And I got the cancelled notification through, and I was like, "Oh, what?" Because it was kind of doing it was doing it was doing well at the time, mm-hmm. but there was at that time there seemed to be a raft of cancellations, kind of one company after another, seemed to be saying, "Oh, look, we've got to like go back and and relook at everything." And I was just like, "Oh, what's going on here?" And. um and of course, the, the the thing, the update comes through and goes. Oh, we're 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 being signed. Um, you know, we we but we, it means we've got to cancel it. And I was kind of like, oh, oh, cool. So that's good. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see. I'm kind of interested to see how um how it compares to the prototype, which I. I think I actually still have. I really should send that. But you, you know, if it becomes really, really successful, there will be a prototype heading to eBay. Yeah. <laughs> if it becomes like the million dollar, <laughs> the million dollar board game, original digipipe. No, because they'll come after me. Yeah. You no, know, they'll hunt you it, down. Well they've got my address so they effectively know where I live so they don't even need to hunt me down they could just turn up and they're only in Dundee which is about 45 minutes away so it's like I'm not really hiding myself very well so there you
1: go Um, Um, But one of the things, sorry, just with that, I think we tried to bring out more of in the game was the idea of owning a store Um, so now you can kind of rehire employees from, from day to day Um, and the way you get the fixtures and everything has a sense of um, this magical sense of owning the store where you like banish employees to trigger effects Um, but there is more of a sense of ownership of that store um, from day to day which we really wanted to bring out a little bit more of Um, so if an employee is useful you'll keep them on for the next day if they're not useful you'll just banish them to the abyss You know, and hire someone new the next day instead. Um, You had to make it dark, didn't you? (laughs) Um, You had to to take
0: it there, didn't you? See, the the holding on bit is still very much in there.
1: You know, yeah. Maybe that. Well, it was already in the game, so I think we just like maybe that's what attracted me to it. it a bit darker. Yeah,
0: Yeah.
1: it's not dark enough. Let's make it darker.
0: Um, What would you like to do next? I mean, if you if there is there a is there a genre, you know, if it wasn't a commercial thing, because obviously you're a business and you've got to keep an eye on what is, gonna sell. But is there a style of game that you would you would love if somebody says, "I'll tell you what, I'll sort the money out. You just go ahead and create something." Is there any kind of genre you would love to, to kind of create yourself, put to you know, kind of put together?
1: Well, I'm kind of doing it at the moment um so like right now i'm working on an arena combat game but it's very different um in that um the characters are kind of younger characters it's a very hopeful game where you're protecting the seed of hope from despair um and you're training together so the idea is you're helping each other to get better and level up and improve and. Um, In that game, I'm trying to address some of the issues I had with games like um, Crossmaster Arena, which basically I loved. But in terms of trying to teach it to children or non-gamers, it was really tough. So people who would be drawn to the game found it hard to to play. So I wanted to make a a more intuitive rule set for people um, so that the game actually scales. The more you play it, the more you get to do with the game. Um and that was uh, a big thing for me because I love the spatial aspect of arena games and but they're often quite dark as well. You know, you're killing people and it's you know, chaotic and dark and broody. And I was like, why can't they just be fun and bright and optimistic and positive? Um so that was kind of really how we came about. Like even the concept of the game is you're fighting and channeling your Prisma, which is your inner light, um, and you're channeling it into blasts and strikes as you move around the arena, sparring with your um, partners and Mokon, which are cute, kind of like Pokemon esque creatures that embody different emotions like anger and happiness and jealousy and fear. And they give buffs to your characters. Um, that's been a real labor of love over the last two years that's like finally coming to fruition. And that's one of the where I was saying earlier about the kind of toyetic element in that game, yeah. you are going to get to customize your hero with stickers. So each, when you start the game, you'll take one of the four characters and that will permanently become your character. Um, and they all start off with a blank slate. They're the same as each other. Um, but as you play, you will get to change their appearance, like change their hairstyle or facial expression. And you'll earn uniforms to indicate your rank within the arena and at the same time, you'll start to gain powers that make it a bit more like hero clicks or cosmaster arena um and that the amount of work <laughs> that's gone into like making that customization work has been incredible. but again, I keep thinking of it from the child's perspective, you know and and us as big kids, you know what uh what would be fun with this game, and again, what's just enough? to keep it interesting and accessible, but also adding enough kind of tactical strategy to it to keep it interesting for adults as well. Because uh, when I think of that game, I think of like a, me going into a shop and picking up the game and holding it out to my kids and going, would you like to play this? I'll buy it for you. If you want to play it, you know, because I want to play that game. I just need you, yeah. you, my child or whatever to agree that you'll play it with me so I can justify the spend um so that game has been like is a kind of a tick box for me um i do a lot of solo gaming as well um because just with work and family by the time i get to sit down it's usually the evening so i end up solo gaming so i would love to work on a like a solo game experience that um is really tight that can be played in a short amount of time and has enough of a feel of you know some narrative to it um, that that allows you to kind of take it out of the box and replay it again and again. Um, yeah. So I've been kind of noodling an idea for that. Whether it'll ever happen, I don't know. But um, that's something I would like to to work on. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a couple of other kind of odd ideas out there that again come from part of my cross community work here and personal development work. So. Kind of ideas around social science and psychology quite often inform my game ideas. Um, so there's a couple of things in there I'd like to explore as well and try and bake them into a game because I love it when people, when a game holds up a mirror to people, uh, you know, and the choices they make and how they behave and they maybe have that kind of moment of, you know, recognizing themselves within the game. Yeah. I mean, I want
0: the sticker game. Like now, um, I'll you know I'll, the introspect the introspective one. I'll you know I I I can hold off after yeah the Sticker Arena game, please. You want dessert you know? for first? I well always, always yeah. you know I'm I'm you know I've you know I've got that middle age spread going on, so to me it's dessert then main mm. meal and then
1: have some more dessert. kind Well, it's thing, actually. You know? I have an earlier iteration on Tip Top Simulator which I'm actually due to update um, so maybe by the time this goes out I can share a link where people where you and others can go and find it and play it Not what, obviously online it won't have the stickers But you'll
0: that's like opening up the freezer door and going look you can have this ice cream and then shutting the freezer door again
1: <laughs> that's that what that's true.
0: like um <laughs> But if people do want to keep an eye on you and, you know, um, check out where we can find you on the interweb nets, where can we find you on the interweb nets, Um, Mr.
1: Rory O'Connor, sir? On the interweb nets. So um, you can find me directly on Twitter uh, at Rory um, O'Connor or O-R-Y-O-C-O-N-N-O-R. Um, I'm usually more responsive than active on it Um, so I don't read a whole lot of stuff on it I usually respond to things um, there or share something interesting I've learned or discovered Um, and then there's also We Are Hub Games uh, which is like our Twitter handle our Instagram account and our Facebook account Um, and that's usually myself or Michael uh, dealing with that
0: and obviously, we will make sure that we put all of these links in the show notes so that we have got notes to show. Um, thank you very, very much for coming on. This has been absolutely fascinating.
1: It to me been been a pleasure. Like really, um, I'm the I love these conversations. It's like I was in earlier chatting with Ben. Like you guys just come at things from a different angle, and it's it's nice. I think. To see the humanity behind the games and not just be talking about the, you know, the games and the systems themselves. Yeah, exactly.
0: I love it. No, I really, really, really appreciate your time. Um, if you have listened along tonight and you want to keep an eye on what we are up to, go to the internet webs, um, go to the Googles and search for We're not Wizards and you shall find us um wherever we are in all these different worn out places and worn out faces. Um And if you like what you've listened to tonight There's a couple of things you can do Go and tell somebody else In the street Walk up to that person that you kind of You see them every day And you just walk up and say Have you ever listened to the We Are Not Wizard podcast? And you know tell them Because that's the way that we spread Like some kind of Non-malicious virus I would like to say in this winter weather The other thing of course you can do is you can uh, Check us out on our various Instagrams and Twitters as well And you can go to Apple Podcasts And you can drop us a rating or a review Um, If you are going to be giving us A rating or a review, don't give us 10 stars This is very important because it does Make me very big headed And on the other side of it, don't give us 1 star Because it makes us cry Um, Give us something in the middle Like a 5 because it's average and we're just a little bit average. Uh, but the person who's not been average tonight is rather wonderful, rather fantastic, Mr. Rory O'Connor. Thank you again, sir, very much for coming on. Thanks a Richard. <laughs> okay. There's only two more things to do. Remember the main member? We're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Rory?
1: Yes, I am. Actually, my children think I, they ask me, <laughs> was I a wizard? <laughs> Going, Mom we know you're not a wizard But dad you
0: might be Oh my word you ruined it Right at the very end <laughs> And the second thing is to say goodbye So it's a goodbye from the sudden disappointment Rory say goodbye Rory Goodbye Rory <laughs> And it's a goodbye from me Remember stay safe Roll sixes make something awful And maybe ask the wizard question at the beginning of your show So you don't get to the end And realise you might have just Potentially wasted an hour and a half of your time. But until the next time, uh, keep holding on and goodbye. A wizard is never licked.